0: This is going to be a powerful series because we all know, we all come in here today knowing that if we get our friends right, we're set up for a lot of success in our life. We've got a lot of peace, a lot of joy. We're going to get a lot of success out of life if we get our friends right. But the flip side is true as well. If we get our friendships wrong, then we're going to get more destruction, more pain, more trials than we ever signed up for. And that leads us to the big idea that we're wrapping this whole series with. And that is, write this in, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Every time, I promise you, you show me the people that are closest to you that you run with and I will show you the trajectory. I will show you the bullseye. I will show you what you will look like and what your life will look like. This was said thousands of years ago by a very, very wise king, King Solomon. Proverbs thirteen twenty. Read this with me. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. I think Rockbrook can do better than that. Let's do that again. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. In other words, if you hang out with people who are better than you, wiser than you, smarter than you, you're going to rise to their level. If you hang out with morons, if you hang out with partiers, you're going to sink to their level. Okay, as I look at my own life, if there is any success in my life, it is directly tied to the people, to the relationships, guiding me to the right perspective, guiding me to the right actions. You show me any area of success, I will show you how God used the right people to influence me to the right decision, in the right direction. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Now, to kind of build a foundation for this for the next three weeks, I just want to lead us in a little exercise, a little action step here real quick. What I want you to do is write down, I give you space in, on your message notes, to write down those closest to you, your closest friends. This isn't a popularity contest, um, but I just want you to see them. Don't write down your spouse. I'm talking outside your family. Don't write down your imaginary friend or your pet. I'm talking about those that you could call at 2 o'clock in the morning. Those that know everything about you. Those closest to you. As you're doing that, I want to tell you something that sociologists, leadership experts have taught for years, and it's this principle. You are the average of your five closest friends. You show me the five closest people to you, and you're somewhere in the middle. You look at any area of life. You don't make the most money. You don't make the least. You're somewhere in the middle. And morally, uh, if you're a partier, if you were drunk or stoned last night, chances are some of your closest friends were drunk or stoned. Don't look at me like that never happens or that nobody in here was like, that happens, okay? And chances are those people closest to you were in the same condition. Now, if you're pursuing God with all your heart, Those people closest to you, three, four, five people close to you, are pursuing God with all their heart as well. You'll be the average of your five closest friends. Show me your friends. I show you your future. So as you look at those listed, uh, the question kind of arises, are you hanging with the right people? Do you want to become like those people? Do you want to have a good marriage? Are you hanging out with people that have a good marriage? Do you want to be better financially are you hanging out with people that know how to manage money? Do you want to be stronger spiritually? Do you want to be in better shape? You are, in almost every area of your life, the average of your five closest friends. Now, we need to define friendship. We need to all get on the same page of what even friendship is. Um, so to do that, let's look at Proverbs seventeen seventeen. This one's on the screen. Look at the screen with me in Proverbs seventeen seventeen and the FBV. A friend is someone you may or may not know well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. <laughs> this person is born to like and comment on your posts to make you feel good about yourself. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 from the Facebook version. <laughs> so obviously that's not real, but that's how a lot of us think about friendship. What's Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 really say? It says a friend is loyal. Is always loyal. And a brother is born to help in time of need. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if you had a handful, maybe five, six, seven close friends who loved you all the time through every season of life and you grew old together and you invested in each other's kids and each other's families and you encouraged each other spiritually? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if you had a friend who loved, a friend is always loyal, a friend loves at all times. The problem is very few of us have friends like that anymore. In fact, according to the American Sociological Review, the average American today has only two close friends, which may not seem alarming to you until you know that just 25 years ago, the average American had six close friends, and in just two and a half decades, our close friendships have been cut off two-thirds. And no one seems to care. No one even seems to notice. What's even more scary to me is that 25 percent, one in four Americans, couldn't even say that they had one close friend. Something's desperately wrong with this picture. Why is this happening? What is going on? Uh, There's several reasons, but I'm going to give you uh, just three reasons real quickly why friendships are in the decline in our culture, and one is because of increasing work hours, We're working all the time. People are working so much that they just don't even have time to develop relationships. And it could be because they're in so much debt or they're living beyond their means, their expenses are too high. It could be because while we're at work, we're not really focused on work, so we don't get to enjoy time off. Or maybe it's just because we're connected all the time. The days where you leave your job on time and work stays at work are behind us, right? We're connected all the time. And number two, friendships are declining because of rising divorce rates. Divorces are not only hard on families, but they're hard on friendships. You get that money, I'll get this money. You get the kids that day of the week, I'll get the kids this day of the week, and you get those friends, and I'll get these friends. And friendships take sides, and friendships break down. And another reason, and this is ironic, is the explosion of social media. And I'll just tell you up front, I'm not against social media. Our church loves to leverage, leverage technology. We love it when you're on your Bible app. You can find us, the church, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. In fact, during the campaign, we'll be uh, hashtagging RB Transformed. And we hope you'll add to it, contribute to it, promote it, share your victories, share your goals, share your involvement in any way, your small group, during the campaign. But whatever you think about social media you have to acknowledge that social media is redefining the way we think about friends. And now, rather than becoming concerned with face-to-face, close friendship, uh, we're becoming obsessed with the online image of ourselves. And now what we have is we've got people with more likes, more fans, more followers, more Facebook friends, and yet they are more alone than ever before. Because technology cannot be a replacement Social media can't be a replacement. It can be a supplement. How do we discover this lost art of friendship that's just slipping through our fingers in this culture? And There's, again, several things I could talk about here, um, but we're going to narrow it down to two. Number one, learn to be present. You know what's really ironic about all of this is that children are more dissatisfied with their parents' use of technology Than parents dissatisfied with their kids' use. Not to say that parents are doing it more, that's probably not the case, but kids are dying for their parents' attention. And when they want it, they can't get it because the parents are on Pinterest or on social media or texting or in constant communication or online shopping, constantly looking for the next great deal. How many times do you go to a restaurant? We've all seen this. And you see a family of four or five and what are they doing? They're all staring at their phone. I've done this. My wife and I have been at the happiest place on earth, Jack Stack Barbecue. And what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm looking at my phone. What am I thinking? The writer of Hebrews said something that has been true throughout history and couldn't have been any more prophetic for our time in this moment in history. Hebrews 10.24, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. In the original language, this meeting with a spiritual purpose, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There is spiritual power in physical presence. I learned this years ago on a Saturday night. This was back when we were doing one Saturday night service. And uh, during the sermon, one of those services uh, the guy who was playing drums that night found out that his father had suddenly died. And we're out here in the lobby, and it's just, it was sudden, and we were all shocked. And uh, we just ditched the service and ran out and got in his truck. And we start driving down to meet the family, go down to his parents' house. And, I mean, as you can imagine, it was just very traumatic. And I had nothing to say. I mean, I had nothing when he really needed me. And we get down to the house, and the family's gathering and grieving and mourning, and we're hugging, and uh, we said a prayer, stayed there late into the night, and when I left, I just remember thinking, Ryland, you stink as a pastor. I mean, they really needed some encouragement. They really needed something here, and you had nothing. And I remember them coming back later and telling me how much my being there meant to them, and him telling me there's no way I could have made, made it in my truck down there without you with me. They went even as far as to say is everything you said was just perfect. There is power in presence. When I'm hurting, when I'm weak, when I'm overwhelmed, it's wonderful when people tell me that they're praying for me, that they're there for me, but there's something powerful about a friend who puts their arm around me in that moment, prays for me right then. Something powerful about someone showing up to help. Something powerful about someone staying late until the job is finished. Something powerful about the friends that are sitting in this service right now encouraging me, supporting me with their presence. There's something that happens when two or three are gathered in His name. And it's great to get that text or that email, that phone call of encouragement. That's wonderful. But there's just something that happens when someone looks at you in the eye And says, I see more for you. I see great in you. I see God doing wonderful things through you. There's something that happens when when someone gets on a plane. And visits you to help you grieve or to celebrate with you. There's something about someone who comes to watch your kid get an award. And them say, your kids are important to me. There's something about presence. Be present. And the second thing is to get open, write that in. we got to be transparent. How different would you be spiritually if you got together with your trusted, close Christian friends to talk about what's really going on in your life? Here's the thing. You may want to write this down in the margin. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. We may impress people with our strengths, but do you want to impress or do you want to impact Because we impact, we connect with people through our weaknesses. It's when we're transparent. It's when we're vulnerable. It's when we say, here's what I'm really going through. Here's what's really going on in my marriage. Here's here's the addiction. Here's the, the sin I can't seem to overcome. Here's the fear that just continues to paralyze me. And suddenly we start to connect and there's a close thing that happens through transparency. James 5, 16 Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Cling to that promise. Look to that promise. I believe that many of us are longing for something more in our relationships. I think there's a gnawing sense deep down inside of us that something's not quite right. And deep down we believe that there's something more to be had relationally in our lives. And that brings us to our key thought for this week. And we're going to have a major key thought all three weeks. This one is you may be one friend away. You may be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. And I mean this with all my heart. You can see it again and again in our lives. You can see it again and again in the lives of the people in Scripture. Think of the Apostle Paul. And one friend changed the trajectory of the Apostle Paul's life. We see it in Acts chapter 9. This is before His name changed. He's called Saul here. It says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Before Saul was the Apostle Paul, he was known as the chief persecutor of Christians, and he actually killed Christians. But he has this amazing conversion, this this wonderful encounter with Jesus, with God, and he wants to preach. So he goes back and he's wanting to preach, but the disciples, the apostles, are they like, okay, last week you were trying to kill us. There's no way you're coming to my small group this week. I don't know about this. But then, verse 27, then Barnabas, Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with them, stayed with the apostles, and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Don't miss how God used one person, Barnabas, to change the trajectory of Paul's life. And Paul goes on to affect millions and millions and millions of people, writing over half of the New Testament. God used one friend to change the course of his destiny, and the same is true for every single one of us. We literally may be one friend away from changing the course of our destiny. And I'd encourage you, don't look for friends just like you. You know, it's kind of a common idea that, okay, well, I'm 16 or 17, I'm gonna look for someone, you know, 16 or 17, or I'm married in my 50s, so I'm gonna look for someone like that. No, no, some of my greatest friendships, greatest relationships are people that are old, with people that are older than me. Sometimes even much older than me. And I've gained so much wisdom from their experience, from their love, from their friendship. I'd encourage you, if you're in the older generation, to intentionally look for a friend who is younger than you. You know, at a lot of churches, you go to some other churches, and the older generation is just so grumpy and crabby towards the next generation. And they're just scowling at them and just looking for the next opportunity to tell somebody to pull their pants up. And that's just, they just can't wait to preach to the next generation. But not at Rockbrook. We love the next generation. And we see them in the hallways and we high-five them and we smile at them and we feed them and we invite them into our homes. And not only are we excited about them, but we befriend them. Now what I want to do in the rest of our time together is show you Three different types of friendships that every person needs. And to do this, we're going to look at the life of King David in the Old Testament. Three friends that helped David become who God wanted him to be. And first, we're going to look at Samuel. Write this in. We all need a friend who makes us better. We all need a friend who makes us better. And let me give you the context. There was a king, King Saul. Now, this is a different Saul Uh, than we were just talking about. This was an Old Testament king that God had now rejected and no longer put his spirit on him, no longer wanted him to be king. So God called a prophet named Samuel to go to Jesse's house and anoint the next king. So Samuel went to Jesse's house and and he looked at the oldest son who was was handsome and strong and tall and thought, okay, well, this must be him. God says, nope, nope. So Samuel says, okay, well, he goes to the next oldest son. And it must be him. God says, nope. And they do the son after son after son. Samuel says, okay, God, what's going on here? God said, here's the problem. You're looking at what people look at. You're looking at what every other person looks at. I don't look at what people look at. I look at the heart. And God saw something in the runt of the family, little young David who was out tending sheep, That no one else saw. And he put it on Samuel's heart. And this is what the Lord said. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. What's interesting to me is that there wasn't a single person who saw in David what God allowed Samuel to see in him. And he looked at David and said, God can do more in you than you could ever Imagine and helped him get better in a way that would really change the course of his destiny now here's the thing for us who are our friends for most of us our friends they just kind of happen by accident they just happen to be the people at the gym at the same time or they just happen to be the parents you know our kids playing a soccer league or they just we just happen to run into them but are we intentional about having friends that make us better better in the things that matter. Proverbs 27, 17 is, iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And that's a very popular verse. It's a popular bumper sticker and a Twitter verse. But have you ever seen iron sharpen iron? It's not a cuddly process. <laughs> I mean, you heat it up, you lay it on an anvil, and you shape it. But it makes it better. Now, David also had a friend named Jonathan. And we, uh, we need a friend like Jonathan. We need a friend who encourages us in spiritual strength. So we're going to fast forward in David's story a little bit. He's anointed to be the next king. Uh, he becomes a war hero. People are singing about him in the streets. They're singing, well, Saul's killed his thousand, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And so naturally Saul gets very, very jealous. But he goes overboard. 1 Samuel twenty three fifteen. one day near Horish. David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. But Jonathan went to find David and encourage him to stay strong in his faith. Every single one of us, we need a friend who strengthens us in spiritual things because no matter how mature you are, you're going to get tempted. You're going to stumble. You're going to get down. And you need a friend who's walking in when everyone is walking out. Says, I'm not just going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm coming over. You can't stop me. And we're going to get through this together. I'm going to strengthen you in the things of the Lord. Not only do do you want those that do that for you, but don't rob yourself of the blessing of doing that for other people. Lift others up. Not just as someone who has fun with their friends but helps them get better and encourages them in the things that matter most. And finally, there's Nathan in the life of David, the third type. We need a friend who tells us the truth. David took his eye off of what he should have been doing as a king, and he put his eye on a woman named Bathsheba and committed adultery with her. And he broke the heart of God. He put the whole kingdom at risk, put his whole life at risk. And even though all that was happening, he didn't see the gravity of what he had done. He didn't see the weight of his sin. So God sends Nathan to go tell him the truth. And Nathan sits him down. And it says, David, let me tell you a little story. Uh, once upon a time, there was a really wealthy guy. And this wealthy guy had more sheep and more cattle than you could count. But there was also this very poor guy. He was dirt poor, and all he had was one little lamb. And this little lamb had become so important to him, like a pet to him. And one day, a hungry traveler comes in, and the wealthy guy, instead of using one of his own, slaughters this poor guy's little lamb and gives it to the hungry traveler. And David just reacts, who in my kingdom would do such a thing? And They should be cut down for that. Well, Nathan looked at David, and in the Hebrew language he said, Ata Ish. Everybody say Ata Ish. 2 Samuel 12, 7. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. And he loved him enough to tell him the truth. And it is amazing what happens when we begin to hate our own sin as much as we hate everyone else's sin. Because you see David brokenhearted and repentant. And if you go read Psalm 51, you see the prayer he prayed after he was confronted with the truth, and you see a man who's brokenhearted and repentant, hating his own sin. When was the last time you had a friend who loved you enough to tell you the truth? And are you even approachable for that kind of thing? If someone were to come to you and say, you know, you're doing this and it just doesn't look good on you. If they came to you, would you shoot them down? Would you explain it away? Would you defend yourself? Would you defend it? Or would you be thankful for someone who cares enough to come and tell you the truth? Because the truth is, they could have left. They could have ignored it. They could have moved on. But they loved you enough to tell you the truth. And they loved you enough to stay with you and fight the battle with you. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. An open rebuke is better than than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You may be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. And let me tell you, some of you will never become who God wants you to be because you're squelching your friendships and you're relationally impoverished. We're going to talk about that next week. And if you continue with just one or two close friends, you need to know that that's not all God has for you. He wants you to have five, six, seven, ten, a dozen, a community of friends around you that are doing life together who are not jealous of one another, who celebrate one another, who serve one another, who make each other better, who tell each other the truth. And you may be a few friends away from changing the course of your destiny. You show me your friends and I promise you I can show you your future. For some of you, when I look at your friends Here's your future. It's new addictions. It's a divorce that your friends are contributing to. For some of you, your future is jail. And you might be thinking, Ryland, you're getting a little overdramatic here. Okay, fair enough, because here's what's true for most of us. For most of us, our future is just the same old thing. What's the same old thing? It's a mediocre half-hearted commitment to God it's lukewarm faith it's just like everybody else working for the weekend it's when the highlight of our life is a three-day weekend go into a football game God has so much more for you than that but we don't know it we don't see it because that's what our friends are and that's just all we've known you may be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. You may be one friend away from having the marriage you've always wanted to have. You may be one friend away from becoming the parent that you always knew you could be. You may be one friend away from, from being more generous than you've ever been with your time and with your finances. You may be one friend away from finally being the one to overcome the addictions that have been in your family for years. You may be one friend away from learning how to better care for your body, maybe adding 10 years to your life, watching your grandkids grow up. You may be one friend away from actually tapping into the power of what God is doing in this local church, in this time, in this place, and not just sitting on the sidelines, not just consuming, but contributing to the kingdom and the mission of God. You may be one friend away from waking up with divine purpose. You may be one friend away from hearing when you get to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. If I could be even more bold in this moment, some of you are backing off You're stepping down. You're moving to the fringe. You've got this idea that, okay, I'm just going to retire and I'm going to coast out the rest of my life. And you might be one friend away from God breathing new life and a fresh wind into you, giving you new energy, realizing you might have 10, 20, 30 more years to contribute to the kingdom of God on this earth. And then there are those of you who may be one friend away from meeting the risen Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will become a friend who sticks closer than a brother and will introduce you to a holy God who will simultaneously be the King of kings in your life and a friend, a better friend than you could ever imagine. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. So what do you got to do to get those kinds of friends? How do you find that one friend away? Well, you got to do what your mama told you. To, be that kind of, to have those kinds of friends, you got to be that kind of friend. So what are we going to do? We're going to get open. We're going to be transparent. We're going to be present. We're going to help others get better. We're going to help them find strength. And we're going to love them enough to tell them the truth. Amen?